The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found no Savior true. No, I was found of Thee. Thou didst reach forth Thine hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much as I on Thee took hold. As thou, dear Lord, on me, I find I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul. Always thou lovest me. Thou lovest me. Thou lovest me. Always thou lovest me. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found no Savior true, no, I was found We live in a day of such cynicism. We live in a day when it seems that everybody does whatever they think is right to do or whatever they want to do. And so there's no moral value that seems to apply anymore. You know, I I grew up listening to Walter Cronkite and other newscasters. I didn't understand at the time, I don't think many did, that Ted Koppel and and many of the others had a very leftist, wicked, non-Christian agenda for America. Today we're seeing the result of our culture and our society being shaped by a wicked news media. Today they're truly, totally exposed for what they are. Mr. Schiff doesn't seem to have any concept of, of what truth is. And others don't seem to have any concept of what truth is. That troubles me. I was raised in a Christian home. 
but it was very much an orthodox Christian home. And we went by the scriptures. And that was considered to be absolute truth. So my orientation is, yes, influenced by my culture. But the greatest struggle I've had through my life has been to turn aside from all that I am taught by even my seminary professors, to turn aside from even what the church taught and search the scriptures and say, I'm going to live for Jesus by what the scriptures teach. And this matter of law has been extremely difficult for me. I grew up in a home where I was taught that it was necessary to keep the law, and you did keep the law by trying hard. Well, I know that's not true today, according to scriptures. But there are some who have said, let's just throw the law away. We don't need the law anymore. We're not under the law. And so it's gone. Jesus did away with the law. That's not true either. My dad used to say to me something that was very wise. He'd say, Ray, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. So on one side, the law is no longer binding. It is finished. It is over. We are under grace. And on the other side, you have to keep the law. And you have to try hard. And you have to work at it. Well, both positions are totally wrong. And yet just enough truth to hook someone who doesn't know the scriptures. So let's look at the law today. Now, the law is spoken of in several ways, and we need to differentiate between those various laws. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this. You can do this on your own. But there is, first, the law of God. There is then the law of Moses. Then there is the law of Christ. And then there is the law of sin and death. And then there is the law of life. So how do we separate all these laws out? Well, the law of Christ and the Ten Commandment law, God's law, are the same law just using different terms. The law of Moses included the Ten Commandments, but it was much more than the Ten Commandments. It was the social norm of the culture that was created by the civil law, by the health laws, by the ceremonial laws. All of those are included under the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law, or the Old Covenant, 
started at Passover, when the blood was shed of the lamb and placed on the doorposts and above the lentil. That's the beginning of the Old Covenant. Now, before that, there was death, but there was no stated law. Death always comes from law-breaking. Law-breaking in the Greek is simply lawlessness or rebellion. Lawlessness or rebellion. So, before the moral law, God's law, before it was given in written form, it was still very much existent. And when people broke it, they died. Adam and Eve broke the moral law. They broke the word of God. They did not obey his command. And because of that, they died. And then they plunged the whole human race into the poison of what we called yesterday the old man. Old man because Moses was not the oldest man. It was it was Adam. Adam is the old man. He's spoken of in the New Testament in terms of Jesus being the new Adam, the new man. So you have the old man, Adam, and you have the new man, Jesus. We'll look at that later. But right now, what I want to talk with you about is this moral law. This moral law was given to the children of Israel in a most striking manner. We find three months after they have left Egypt, they are finally camped in the desert of Sinai. Now, there's a great deal of discussion about where that actually was, where it occurred, and some have historically called Mount Sinai on the peninsula that is basically still Egypt. But they had left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and many now believe that Mount Sinai is found in Saudi Arabia. I'm one of those who agrees with that. There are archaeological remains there that are very clear evidence of the children of Israel having been there. Now, they're in the desert, and they are told, go, consecrate yourself, wash your clothes, Be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all the people. And they were to put limits around the mountain so no one would try to go up and see God, because if they did, they would die. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. There was a thick cloud over the mountain. There was a very loud trumpet blast. The mountain was literally on fire. Everyone in the camp trembled with fear because of the awesome sight and the loud trumpet blowing. 
Moses led the children of Israel, the people of the camp. Two million people. He led them with his staff of judgment. He led them out of camp to the base of Mount Sinai. As they stood there at the foot of the mountain, now Mount Sinai is smoking, it's on fire. The smoke is billowing up like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain is trembling, an earthquake is shaking it. And the sound of the trumpet, it's growing louder and louder. And people are beginning to try to cover their ears. It's so loud and they're terrified. They've never seen anything like this before. Moses, in his weak voice, called out to God. And the voice of God answered him. Now, today... We don't have many visions. We don't have many prophetic words. Oh, there's one person that I listened to just recently who was prophesying things that were going to happen at the end of the year. Needless to say, none of what they prophesied took place. And so I knew they were a false prophet. There are real prophets. David Wilkerson was a real voice of the prophetic He was my pastor. I had a great deal of love and respect for David Wilkerson from the Times Square Church in New York City. But there are not many today who are speaking honestly the word of God, either from the pulpit or prophetically or on the internet. It was like that also in the time of Eli because of the sin of the priests. Eli's sons and Eli... And so the voice of God did not come, and visions were rare. And God finally brought judgment on Shiloh. And they lost their place of worship. Well, we have that same thing happening today. We have many hucksters. We have many people claiming to be prophets. We have many people claiming that they know God, and they're speaking for God. And it just brings more and more cynicism into the body of Christ. And people saying, you know what? What is this? This is foolishness. It's fantasia, as one man said. It's make-believe. Well, let me say to you today, what I'm sharing with you was not make-believe. It was real. And we are going to see the real hand of God moving with incredible power. Now, right now, the virus that is spreading through the world, we can say that's not a judgment of God. I suspect that it is. I won't say, though, because I have not been told that, and I will not go beyond what the Word of Scripture says. But there will be, in the end days, pestilence and wars and rumors of war. Many will die of famine. There's a famine developing now in parts of Africa that probably will take the lives of millions of people. We may even in America have famine. I don't know. God hasn't told me. 
but I am extremely concerned. But I want to teach only what the Word of God actually says. I'm not going to do speculation. I'm not going to teach things that are not taught in the Word of God. So they're waiting at the mountain. The Lord descended from the heavens and came down on the top of Mount Sinai and he called Moses to the top of the mountain. Now he was told, put limits around the mountain, set it apart as holy. Now we're accustomed to Moses being told to step out of his sandals because the ground where you are standing is holy ground. That was the Shekinah glory of God and that bush that burned but was not consumed. But now it's a whole mountain that's burning and two million people are watching it. They can smell the smoke. They can feel the shaking of the ground under their feet. They don't know if it's a volcanic eruption. They don't know what's happening, but they're terrified. And then God begins to speak. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This fearsome spectacle that God has put on is to cause the children of Israel to fear him and obey him. I I hate to tell you, it didn't work. Shortly after, the word of God comes to them in such a terrifying manner. And Moses goes up on top of the mountain to meet with God. They convince Aaron to create a golden calf. And they worship it. And say, this was the God who led us out of Egypt. Today God comes in a still small voice. He's usually not very obvious, but it is found in the word of God. He speaks through the scriptures. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your manservant nor your maidservant, nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. So we find the first, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The remaining six deal with our relationship with each other. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So here are the ten words of God. And this is called the law of God or the law of Christ. It is the moral law. It is the standard of conduct and behavior that God demands of all of his creatures. When the people saw the lightning striking, the ground shaking, thunder rolling, the trumpet blast, they saw the smoke and the fire They backed away from the mountain and they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. This was a big deal. This was terrifying for them. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. It did not keep them from sinning. We'll pick up that story later. But I want to speak more specifically now about this question of the law. In the book of Romans, the word law is used some 75 times. It is the first epistle of the New Testament. And it is God's outline for the expected behavior of his people. That we would understand the relationship between law and grace. And that we could come into the presence of God with great assurance and with joy and with faith. Because God demonstrated his love for us by Jesus dying while we were still sinners. So this is not about a man or woman coming up to some kind of level and then God will love you. God loves you right now, not unconditionally, but unfailingly. He loves you. But he wants you to understand what his expectations are. Now, If I go to 1 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murders, for adulterers, perverts or homosexuals, for slave traders, for liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gracious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. This is Paul writing to Timothy. So he's saying the law is good. Now, the problem we have, 
The law is not made for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers. And so today the law has arisen coming out of long past ages that nobody can keep the law, that it's impossible. And that Jesus imputed righteousness to us So we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And that grace is now a blanket covering to allow us to walk in sin. So the law is not made for the righteous, and so their teachers are teaching. The law is not made for you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, even though you are still a lawbreaker. You see how they have twisted this word of God. The teaching today is that you can be a murderer and you can't lose your salvation. You can commit adultery. You can be a gay person. You can be a slave trader. You can be a liar. You can perjure yourself. You can sin in any way and you can't lose your salvation. Simply hanging on this lie that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, and I'm righteous if I'm covered by the imputed imputed grace of the Lord, like a blanket covering over me. Grace is never meant in the Scriptures to cover our sin. It is meant to uncover our sin. Titus tells us that grace is there to teach us how to say no to ungodliness. Now, you have to come to a conclusion. Let me tell you what it is. You must either believe the modern teachers of our culture and consider yourself saved even though you're still walking in rebellion against the Almighty. Or you have to come to a new understanding of what the gospel is and what the power of the blood of Jesus Christ is. You see, well, let me read it. Second Timothy, the third chapter. Second Timothy, the third chapter. Mark this. Put a mark down. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. People will be saying, I can do whatever I want to do. And if and if I want to sin against God, it's not sin if it's covered by love, and it's not sin if the blood of Jesus covers me because God's going to look at me and he won't see my sin. He'll just see Jesus. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. It's an excuse to cover the description that Paul is giving Timothy and saying this is what's going to happen at the end of time. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, This is the description of the last-day Christian church having a form of godliness. They go to church. They're even pastors. But they deny the power of the gospel to totally remove you from sin. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Now, I want to read you a scripture out of 1 Peter. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. They heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached. Verse 7, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. This is what Peter is saying. And if you go to 1 John, and by the way, I'm, I'm speaking here about the moral law the law of Christ. Jesus was very clear. He did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And now the expectation of Jesus is that that law will be fulfilled in your life and in mine. If you're walking in sin, you are under the law. Regardless of what your claim is, God is the judge. And he's saying, if you're walking in rebellion against his commands, you are under the law and will be condemned in the end day. You will not see life. You will be seeing death. First John, third chapter. This is the epistle of First John, not the gospel. The third chapter. Everyone who sins breaks the law. It does not say everyone who sins but is covered by the blood of Jesus is safe. No, it says everyone who sins, that is, everyone who sins against the moral law of God or the law of Christ, the law of love, if you break that law, then you are lawless. You're in rebellion. 
but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Or dikasune, it means he who does what is right is innocent. Just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work in your life. I added, in your life, in my life. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. Okay, so I want you to see something here. John is saying that something is going to happen in your life that will transform you into a new person and you will no longer walk in rebellion against the Almighty God. Now, what is that that happens? Jesus called it in speaking with Nicodemus as being born from above, being born again. It's spoken of in other ways in the Scripture. I shared with you yesterday what it says in Galatians. Let me turn again quickly to that and read it for you. Paul said, If while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, and that is the question, are we made righteous by obeying the law? You know and I know that in the human flesh we cannot obey the law. Romans, the seventh chapter. If we have time, we'll go there today. But we're seeking to be made righteous. This is Galatians 2, verse 17. If while we seek to be made righteous, justified in the NIV, but the word is dikasune, and it means to be made righteous. The word justified in old, old, old English meant to be made righteous. If while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. So Paul is saying, look, the Holy Spirit can come, and he will. And with the blood of Jesus, he'll scrub you clean. Then if you go back to what it's referred to as going back to the vomit of dogs. They go back to their vomit. The pigs go back to their pig pen. If you go back to your sin, it's not Jesus' fault. It's your choice. He's been very clear. 
you will not be tempted beyond what you have the ability. But if you do sin, First John says you have an advocate with the Father. He will forgive you for your sins, and he will cleanse you from all impurities. The heart of Jesus is to have you like him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law. In other words, the law condemns every person to death. None of us can escape the accusation of the law that we have sinned against Almighty God. The law puts us to death. And then we have the opportunity to live for God. Now, what I want you to catch here, please stay with me. What I want you to catch is that you can't put one foot in the camp of God and one foot in the camp of the devil. You can't do that. If you have one foot in the camp of the devil, you're in the devil's camp. That's what he's saying. You can't serve Christ and mammon. You will either love one or the other. You cannot be a child of this world and a child of Jesus Christ at the same time. It requires a whole new life where you no longer plunge into the dissipation of the devil in this world. You don't go to the entertainment of this world. You don't read the books and magazines of this world. Remember what I said at the beginning? There is a whole wicked leftist agenda that's been played out in our media. That's been played out in books and magazines so that now we have trans people appearing in libraries in order to read stories to children to teach them about how they could choose their own gender, that there are many genders available to them. No, there's not. God made a male and he made a female. There is no other gender. A man who decides he wants to look and dress and act like a woman, in our culture, you can do that. But your genes didn't change and you're still a man. doesn't matter what you say. It matters what your biology says. It matters what God says. So now we're going to even have, and I don't watch and I won't watch the Super Bowl, but I'm hearing that already in the halftime there will be transvestites performing, men dressed up as women, It's becoming mainstream culture. No, it has become mainstream culture. And it is utterly evil. It is wicked. Now, you may disagree with me. You may be angry with me. Please, at some point, we have to make a decision. What is our source of truth? Is our source of truth the desire of our own heart? Or is our source of truth that which is expressed clearly in the moral code 
of our God of heaven. I believe our absolute truth is the moral code of God, the law of God, the law of Christ. I believe the Bible is to be considered and is literally the inspired word of the living God. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He's saying, look, I've died. And it was a torturous death. But I have died. And now Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He is in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained, if innocence could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And Christ didn't die for nothing. He died so that I could die and live a new life, be transformed by his his love and his goodness. The New Covenant teaches that the law of God is literally written on my heart so that when I am doing what comes naturally to me in Jesus, I am in full compliance with the law of God. I mean, does someone have to come to me and say, treat your mother and father with love and respect? Of course not. I love them. They laid their life down for me. And so I likewise, in many ways, laid my life down for them. Now they're gone, and I miss them. Does anyone tell you, need to tell you, don't steal from your brother? Would that be a loving thing to do, to steal from your brother? No. It would be a hateful thing to do. And because you hate your husband, or you hate your wife, or you hate your brother, or you hate your boss, you think you're justified in stealing from them. That's why the moral code is given. No, but a person who is in the love of Christ Jesus will never be tempted to steal. He will know that God is his source, and he will trust the Lord. Would it be a loving thing for me to lust and try to win somebody's wife to be my lover? No. It would be wicked. It would be sin. The law of God is about love. Love is the summation of the entire Ten Commandments. Every one of them is dependent upon God's placing his love in my heart that I would act toward him and toward others in the same way he has acted toward me with grace, kindness, altruism, mercy. That's how God has acted toward me. And so you find in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is speaking about himself 
before he became a Christian when he was a very strong Jewish man, keeping the Jewish law perfectly in outward form. But in 7.14 he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. All of us have walked in this. I have hated myself for some of my sin. I have not wanted to sin against God, but I have done it anyway. says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I know nothing good dwelt in my sinful nature. Nothing. Paul says in verse 21, when I want to do good, <clears throat> evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Any man who has not been born from above who has not had the sin removed from his heart, <clears throat> is still addicted to the opiates or the alcohol, is still addicted to the sex, to the television, to the video games, to the violence of our culture. In all honesty, you're miserable. Because you know that one day you're going to die and you will be held accountable before the God of heaven. Now you can say, there's no God. You know differently. You know that intelligent creation is a much better argument than was ever dreamed of by the wicked Darwin. Darwin was an evil man rejecting the gospel of Jesus. Oh, he knew the gospel. He rejected it. And so he has brought death and destruction to millions of people who believed his lies. You have to decide. Who will you listen to? What will you believe? And every part of your life will flow out of what you decide about God. And will you recognize you have to be rescued? I know in the spirit that there are men or women listening right now, and you are caught, and you are miserable. You may even be contemplating suicide. Or you may be thinking about having an abortion. Or you may be thinking about some other wicked thing that you want to do. I plead with you, turn from it. 
will only bring you heartbreak and misery. The God of heaven loves you. He is seeking you even as you in your mind begin to turn and say, Is there a God? Can I trust him? It is God who is calling you. It is the Holy Spirit calling you to Jesus. He wants you. He loves you. He wants to break that addiction. He wants to set you free and give you a new life. Chapter 8. This is Romans chapter 8. There, there is now no condemnation, no judgments for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only way you can be in Christ Jesus is to be made innocent by his blood, to be made righteous by his blood. Sin cannot enter into Jesus. You have to be washed and you have to be clean. And you have to, you have to know you've made a decision to totally give your life into his hands. You cannot continue lukewarm, one foot in church, one foot in the club. You can't walk that way anymore. You either serve Jesus or you serve darkness. Paul goes on and says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The only possible way the law of the spirit of life can set you free is by removing the rebellion from your heart and making you into a new creature. And that only happens as a supernatural act of God as he totally comes and transforms you and changes you as you give yourself into his hands. You confess your sin. You turn from it. And he carries you. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin. He didn't condemn you. He passed judgment on sin in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. If you are going to live according to the Spirit, you are not covered by grace. You are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Pray today you can hear and understand what I'm saying to you. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for that person right now who is struggling. Will they make a decision to serve you, Jesus? Will you bring them through in great victory? Will you give them a new heart, a new life? Will you change them right now? In the name of Jesus, will you call them to repent 
Lord, will you call them to let you make a new life for them? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, just a quick word about where we're at with the radio broadcast. We have had several offerings come in, and I'm very grateful for my brother and sister. We are still $2,200 short for being able to cover the radio bill for the month of of January. I don't know how I don't know how to speak to you about this except to say I'm standing by faith that we're not going to go off the air. I don't have the ability to pay that 2200. I know we need you if the Holy Spirit has called you If you've been prompted to give, would you do that right now? Would you call 877-534-0780? Or would you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and would you give online? I have faithfully taught as the Lord directed me this week. I've not done an offertory, but I do need to hear from you. Do you treasure... This time we share together. Do you treasure these broadcasts and Bible studies? If you do, I need to hear from you. If I don't hear from you, I won't remain on the air. So call right now, 877-534-0780. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I pray I'll be on the air next, next month. Go in peace. I'll talk to you soon. His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.